I am not a technologist. I don't. I don't think technology by itself or designing, you know, the most powerful uh, uh, processor or the most powerful or the the highest quality camera is going to make a real impact. I mean, this is my, my vision. Impact comes from uh, empowering people uh, with tools that basically um, can fulfill their needs in a in a specific context. It's Yandra here, and this is the Pioneers Show. The show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are trailing their own trails and creating their own lives so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. If this is your first time here, thank you for downloading and listening and I appreciate you taking the time to hear this episode. Subscribe and enjoy listening to the pioneers of today. And if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. This is episode 22 and I'm your host, Andre Diopkerk. You can find me at It's the Andre on Twitter as well as the show at Pioneers Show on Instagram. In today's show, I bring you Sebastian Mialia. He's the CEO and managing partner of Protopixel, a great startup that is working on democratizing lighting technology for artists. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably never heard of this. Be prepared for a masterclass into this type of technology. Fascinating on how much a segment of creative technology was left off my education and in the public eye. In this conversation, we go through Sebastian's education history, his interests in storytelling and marketing, and how this intriguing startup was created. I really hope you enjoy this conversation, and this serves as an eye-opener on this industry and how we can learn from his experience. Without talking a lot more, let's jump into the conversation with Sebastian Meagher. Welcome, and I'm really happy that you're here. So for people who don't know who you are, care to give us a presentation? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you, Andre, for the, for the invitation. I'm super happy to be here. So I am Sebastian Meagher. Um, I was born in Argentina, so my background is on um, actually in communications. So I I, I come from a quite uh, entrepreneurial uh, family actually. My father was an entrepreneur back in Argentina, and um, kind of I got a lot of uh, you know like uh, motivations to start my own businesses from 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 there. From my mm-hmm. father. Uh, when I finished school, I went. Uh, I was living in Cordoba, which is the second biggest city in Argentina, and I did my my undergrad there in communication. And then during the uh, university, I actually started uh, um, creating my own uh, not businesses, but my own projects with uh, with, uh, with colleagues. I always liked to actually to build uh, things with other people, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that I kind of like connects uh, most of my 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 journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this regard, so uh, I once I finished my undergrad there, I was working for the Spanish embassy, um, leading the technology and cultural cultural projects in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So that took me uh, to live in many many different uh, cities in Latin America. So I was living in Buenos Aires, then in Santiago de Chile, uh, Lima, uh, Bogota, and so capitals throughout yeah, South America. Yeah, exactly. So I was kind of like. Uh, helping the Spanish government to bring uh, tech and culture from Spain to Latin America, which is uh, well, there is a like cultural connection on uh, on uh, neuroscience and, and cognitive science to understand how actually our brain uh, works with machines. Mm-hmm. So kind of at a very low low level. And then after I finished my masters, I started a PhD in uh, in this uh, music technology group in the university. So basically, I got um, specialized on human-computer interaction, mm-hmm. and in my PhD, basically, I I start I started um, um, researching on how 
to build uh, intuitive, uh, user-friendly, and you know, like seamless uh, musical interfaces for musicians, but also for 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 the for like the general people. I mean, for people without experience, um, which was something. I mean, like I think it was a very nice uh, period of my of, of of my life because there is uh, where I basically went deep into user-centered design to understand how to design for people, mm-hmm. people with different needs, people with different skills, um, that at the end of the day they want to, to, to make music. So I was, uh, my, my supervisor at that time was uh, Sergi Jordan, and Sergi is one of the creators of a very, uh, what became very famous uh, musical uh, instrument, it's called the React Table. React table. React table. I don't know if you if you don't know that is is basically a, a, a an interactive uh, tabletop like a like a like a mm-hmm. like a table that basically uh, puts together like the the way you will play with a traditional musical instrument. Mm-hmm. So physical elements that you place uh, on top of the table. Mm-hmm. The idea that you can actually access to more than one process at the at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, collaborative aspect, so it's a, it's a round table, so you can play with other people, uh, and at the same time, also all the benefits of a digital musical instrument, which is the possibility of delegating some musical process to the computer, the idea that you can automatize some, some, some uh, either like sound generations or filters or, or, or effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything came together in this instrument. And it became very, very uh, famous because uh, at that time Bjork uh, bought it. So Bjork was the first kind of mainstream artist that started making music with the, with the React Table. Interesting. And then uh, also Coldplay was using it and it became kind of like a, a very, um, I think, very popular on the digital musical instruments. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of my 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 the first product uh, in which I was working uh, from this kind of uh, user centered perspective. And during my PhD, I met my my, my co-founders, mm-hmm. uh, Carla Sandani and, and Alba, uh, with which we actually started uh, uh, Protopixel as well. So before we go on and talk about Protopixel, I have a lot of things to, to tackle about about the, the the things you talked about. So first of all. You, you, you kind of touched it when you, you mentioned the already cultural connection from Argentina with Spain, but what made you go into the d- diplomacy routes after college? Okay, yeah. So the thing is that, I mean, when I was like fresh out of, uh, of college, um, I, I wanted to, to start working right ahead. Mm-hmm. And so I started working for the, for the Spanish embassy. And after one year or after some time, I realized that I want to kind of to to get more skills or more like a deeper knowledge on um, uh, to understand how basically we humans um, uh, interact with computers. So for me, I mean, I I, I am not a, an engineer, so mm-hmm. I got my background in communication, but I was always interested on on this link between like between uh, like technology, arts, creativity, mm-hmm. and at that point, I mean, I found being in Argentina, where you don't have that many, um, at that point, you, you didn't have many 
like digital products going on or startups or tech companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, like a natural way to get that knowledge and go deeper into this, into this. Um, is to move to somewhere that it, has. It, so first, it was research. So I, 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 I took the decision of like uh, becoming a researcher, mm-hmm. and um, and also it was a good uh, way for for uh, for someone from Latin America to get uh, funding to, to to move to Europe. Mm-hmm. So that's why I got an, a grant. And uh, I, I, I was able to move to, to Europe with this, uh, with this uh, founder. Yeah. Interesting. This was one of the questions that I meant to do uh, in a few minutes, but I'll ask you now. So why the fascination, yeah. if I may ask? So, for example, you yeah, studied communications. Yeah. I come from a communications background, but first of all, and for me, I think that every time that I talk with someone who has a background in communications, there's a really emotional... Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for any background, for example, but... As a personal curiosity, what made you go into communications? Well, I mean, I think like first of all, because uh, again, uh, my father mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, he basically uh, installed the first uh, TV cable system in the, in the town where I was living. Oh, great! So I was from. I mean, since very little, I was in touch with like, for instance, like. Uh, uh, you know, like CCTV system, mm-hmm. TV systems, uh, video making, uh, you know, like um, audiovisual uh, stuff, audiovisual people. So I, I kind of like, uh, you know, got a very deep uh, awareness of the power of the how you can actually create and distribute content through through, through media. Mm-hmm. I'm talking at least uh, in the, in the you know 90s, even like before the internet. And then when the internet came. Um, I mean, I was already, you know, like I saw it as a as a as a way in which content could be distributed in a, mm-hmm. in, a in a broader way. So th- that was one of the triggers, like the idea of like kind of go deeper into the things I was already in touch when I was uh, in my hometown. And, and the other thing is that I I've been always like a, like a very communicative uh, uh, you know person. So um, so I, I also like writing or, you know, like creating basically narratives. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I also enjoy, quite, and I still enjoy quite a lot, like making like uh, uh, videos. For instance, this is something that in ProtoPixel we do a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we do a lot of content-based uh, marketing and content-based communication. And, and uh, I, I, I do believe in the power of narratives, in the way you, you, you communicate and experience to people. So you can have a very nice product, or you can have a, 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 even a, a, a very interesting solution to, to bring to the market. Mm-hmm. But through a proper narrative and a proper proper storytelling, you can really engage uh, people at the, at the very emotional and mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a deeper way. And um, that, that's why I, I I went into communication because I wanted to be a story a storyteller. A storyteller. Yeah. yeah, that's what happened with me. I can share with you so. Basically, the main reason I went to marketing for me was uh, Apple. Mm-hmm. I never had an Apple product by then, but it was just the sheer amount of passion that people had to a brand mm. that they didn't have. Exactly. Yeah. And I always found that so engaging. And I wanted, like you, for example, to be able to storytell, to know how to do the, the, the flicker in your mind when you, I need to have that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, okay, this was a little tangent. So you, you moved to Europe, to, to, to Barcelona. To become a researcher, mm-hmm. but you were already in getting to start being interested in the way that neuroscience, the way that 
brains interact with, mm -hmm. your, with your mind? Mm -hmm. In which capacity? And I'm asking you specifically because we've had a previous guest here on the show that talk about VR mm -hmm. and health. Mm -hmm. We have about VR and once again, let's call it psychological health. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them talk about the, the processing power of a computer applied to the mind mm -hmm. to be able to, let's call it, either trick the mind or help us rebuild some some fast projects yeah in which capacity is the your interest in computer human interfacing first of all i mean you know the, in this dynamics of human computer interaction mm -hmm. there is like a, so there is an interplay between like a, you know like a, a humans and the machine and you can see this as a as a relationship that augments uh, your capacities for processing information and mm -hmm. for doing things um but you know, like I, I mean, our, I mean, we and our body, we are a very rich uh, source of information, mm -hmm. and the way we interact with machines, even that there, there, there has been kind of a lot of innovation in the way the devices that we have, are, uh, you know, are are designed. The the interaction uh, models are more or less the same. You know, mm -hmm. we still use the keyboard. We still are quite, you know, uh, linked to to screens. So if you go like back uh, to the to the 80s, I mean, you see the way we like the interfaces and so on. They they didn't really change change much. Mm -hmm. I mean, we still I mean, we we do have like things like VR uh, or AR, and we we are, we are seeing more like natural interfaces that um, that are embedded in the devices we use now. But it's, it's pretty much it's pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And a way for me to 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 create. Um, or to design an interface was first to understand how we as humans uh, first of all per perceive things mm -hmm. uh, how we do uh, how do we process information and what kind of uh, information a computer can acquire from us so one of my main lines of, uh, of uh, research for instance was implicit interaction so uh, a way to put this is that most of, of the um, of the ways in which we interact with computers is explicit, so we, we have to explicitly uh, uh, input information into the device. So mm -hmm. let's say we have to, we want to play, um, we want to play, a, a, I don't know, a sequence or a loop. So you have to, you know, to consciously, uh, you know, select a, a sample. Or you have to, you know, to cut it and to make mm -hmm. a, to make a, um, a selection of a musical, musical piece, and then you have to inject that into a computer. Or if you want to search something on, 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 on Google Maps, you have to type or to provide some sort of input with your voice, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I was more interested in how can we make computers that will actually look at our body uh, continuously and will actually extract meaningful information from that, and will actually provide um, a response to, to the user without the need of having to, you know, like explicitly um, uh, uh, insert the command. So, for instance, one of the things I was doing is I was using brain-computer interfaces. So, I was connecting different type of um, uh, electroencephalographic uh, sensors into musicians. Uh, so, always I, applied to music. Yeah, because my research was, my, my kind of my, my test bed was always music. Okay. So, and I mean, I, I chose music basically 
uh, music takes most of the human bandwidth. When you are playing music, you are using most, most of the time both of your hands. Your attention is is, is uh, uh, you put your attention into mm-hmm. into the instrument. Your uh, auditive uh, senses are also engaged in the composition. So for me, it was like, okay, this is kind of like already taking most of the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. How can we go like beyond that? Mm-hmm. So I, I started like, for instance, acquiring data from from the body. I was using brain brain computer interfaces heart rate, um, electromyography for looking into the muscles, and then I was creating algorithms that will monitor that uh, the, those uh, physiological signals, will classify them, and will provide you with, a, with, a, with some uh, uh, musical feedback to improve your performance. Before we go deeper in this specific area, which I'm genuinely very interested because as someone who's played guitar, and learn to play guitar alone for like 15 years now mm-hmm. that love string string uh, instruments that every time that I see guitar I can just start playing and start thinking about other things mm-hmm. how did you learn those things specifically was it any book any course because coming from a communication yeah. background developing algorithms yeah. is not something that you necessarily do yeah. understanding how to read data from muscles mm-hmm. EKGs whatever it is it's not in our common background. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it any book? Was it something that you were learning since you were studying neuroscience? Where were, where was the knowledge? Where did the knowledge come from for you to be able to apply this same specific sets of data? Yeah. So basically, I mean, I, I was already learning many... Um, um, so how to how to program uh, before by myself and then during my so I did the masters first mm-hmm. so during the masters I, I acquire this uh, some of this knowledge and then you know when you start the PhD it's pretty much kind of like a, you start a relationship also you have to choose a, a, your mentor or your supervisor your research lab and and because I knew that I, I would need to acquire all this knowledge I went into this research group that I knew it was very hands-on. So it was a, a it was a, it's a still a research lab that is mm-hmm. pretty much you know like engineering driven. They build stuff. It's, it's not kind of this uh, theoretical or mm-hmm. more uh, you know more conceptual driven uh, research. It was very very hands on okay. and very empirical in the way things were validated. So I did my PhD during uh, four years and, and and I basically acquired it from 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 there. So all this knowledge came, or you acquired this knowledge during the masters and the PhD and, and then applied it with this research and music and all the effects that it has totally. on the body. Exactly. And also collaborating with a lot of, with a bunch of people, which I think is one of the main things I took from, from my research experience was like, not only the fact of, uh, because research can be quite uh, lonely because mm-hmm. you are pretty much by, by your own uh, at several levels, especially when you uh, have to write papers or when you have to do your experiments and so on. So through this collaboration, I could actually not only learn, but also create uh, projects or, 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 or develop uh, mm-hmm. tools that uh, by myself would have been very complicated. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, I, during my PhD, I met my co-founders. Yeah, you, you already mentioned that. Mm-hmm. So still going a little bit deeper into music, because like I said, it's something that I'm really passionate about. What, was the main, what, what were the key takeaways that you can now remember that, that surprised you? Because I think that a lot of people say that it's common sense that if you listen to specific music, mm-hmm. 
it can pump you up mm-hmm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. You can listen to some music that can make you tense up physically. Mm-hmm. There was this study a few years ago that said, for example, that uh, Staying Alive from Bee Gees was the perfect music for CPR, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But what was the what were the main takeaways or the key takeaways that surprised you with your research, apparently, with music and all the interfacing with computers mm-hmm. for that specific area? Yeah. I mean, I think I think like, uh, music research is very fascinating. Uh, because it really um, tackles a, like a broad range of uh, of, um, of of aspects of human perception and um, and you know and 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 um, performance. So music is uh, it basically activates uh, a, a large uh, you know range of uh, of um, of um, brain regions, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to understand, for instance, like uh, perception, uh, if you want to understand, for instance, what uh, conscious and unconscious processes, uh, or even you know, like uh, um, your perception of space, of time, uh, music is a really good uh, example of that. Mm-hmm. Not only listening to music, but also uh, uh, creating create, or playing, playing music. Playing music. And I mean, the, I mean, there is a ton of research on, on 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 music and neuroscience, basically because of that, because it's uh, music. Music engages uh, a, like a broad range of uh, of uh, human capacities. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was first of all, it was very surprising to know that through music I could actually understand many many things that um, that can apply to other fields. Can you give an example? Yeah, like for instance, uh, like for instance, um, uh, emotional responses to things. So we uh, most of the, the the affective response we we, we have to to reality are uh, unconscious mm-hmm. and, and quiet, uh, um, you know, like and, and, and very very fast. And this is a process that happens first on an unconscious level. And sometimes we are emotionally reacting to things and we are not even conscious about that. So, for instance, this thing that you were saying, no, like for instance, how listening to different like musical patterns or different tonalities will actually um, uh, provoke a different affective response to you mm-hmm. and will actually um, affect how you perceive a, a given experience where you are in. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, I mean, one thing I was doing, I, I was running experiments on uh, on how musicians could augment their, their music performance by uh, measuring the affective response to what they were playing. Mm-hmm. And I was calibrating, for instance, the, the complexity of the musical instrument according to that. So, uh, I could actually measure how frustrated or how engaged were you with the with the with your musical performance, and then if you will get uh, more nervous or more uh, um, um, frustrated with the with what you were playing, the instrument the, the computer will take over the, the the performance and will introduce some some easier. musical pattern to make it easy for you. Interesting. So that's for instance for music for musical learning is is uh, was something like very very interesting because then if you have for instance a kid that is learning how to play music, especially instruments like the violin, for instance, which is like extremely complex. It takes, uh, you know, years to actually to master. Or ARP, for example. Or the ARP, or the piano. So you can actually provide them with kind of like a, a adapt, adaptive uh, learning experience. Interesting. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yep. One of the things I find more exciting in music is that nowadays you can create some things without thinking for example everybody or a lot of people have never heard that specific area of the chord uh, four chord 
transition and basically can create 17,000 songs there. Mm -hmm. Most of the hit songs since the 1980s have been developing with four chords or four transitions. Mm -hmm. But for example, I also feel like there are some specific types of songs that it's almost a guarantee that if you introduce a violin there and some strings in the back and it's a very potted song, like very slow beat, you can get goosebumps. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like a, a real thing. Yeah. And do you think that people who create music from a laboratory perspective, so com 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 compositors? Mm -hmm. uh, composers. Composers, thank you. So composers that have tons of years of experience, like Anne Zimmer or mm -hmm. other any other big big name composer, do you think that these people have the neurological research on their side or do they come from emotional expertise of the music or do you think that any of them if they encounter someone like you who has the scientific background to say if you do it like this maybe you can engage a different emotional response do you think that's possibility or it doesn't yeah actually i mean i think that uh, nowadays collaboration between musicians uh, and i'm talking about like like really professional or even like mainstream famous musicians and neuroscientists is is uh, is getting more common than ever before um basically because i think i think most of the musicians they I mean, they have this knowledge, but from an empirical, uh, from experience, basically. Mm -hmm. So, because they, you know, they master the, their, um, their discipline or their, their, their instruments. They already have a kind of like a, you know, like a, an intuition about where music will take you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like, you know, like music research comes basically to, to kind of complement that and to confirm, I mean, and there are very interesting like uh, researchers, like for instance, like uh, uh, I think it's Roberto Satorre from like McGill University in Canada, that they they have collaborated with musicians and put them into more research, uh, you know, conditions mm -hmm. and look into the into the brain through uh, fMRI, for instance, mm -hmm. to to basically to, to confirm or to 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 understand, you know, what's the effect of this mm -hmm. of this. Uh, of this music into 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 the brain. I mean, I think that at least in, in my case, I mean there is a, a, I mean there are like two two big benefits into uh, a, a approaching music through research, which is basically you can uh, really understand uh, music and and, and uh, human machine interaction from a perceptual level mm -hmm. because you look into the into the into people's perception. But also, you get a very solid uh, knowledge about how to design uh, interfaces, so musical instruments and, and at the end of the day, products, uh, to make music that go beyond using a keyboard and a mouse. And this was something that for us at Protopixel was always like a kind of like a, it's still like a, a very um, a strong design uh, guideline, you know, like. You can use computers uh, in, 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 in ways which are more natural mm -hmm. and, and, and you can use technology in order to, you know, to create, to, to, to create interfaces that, that, that goes beyond, beyond this setup. So the real table I was telling you before is, was a bit like that. Then, for instance, we work in a European project for three years with, a, with three different universities where we were using, for instance, like muscle interfaces and machine learning to, to basically to, to, understand or to track gestures and to make music with the with hand gestures um, and, and and that was great I mean it's a, and, and you can see it even today that uh, there are a lot of musical products that uh, runs on a, on a on a smartphone mm -hmm. and 
many of them they use for the accelerometer and they integrate this idea of movement also as an input for, for creating music. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the most fascinating new music products I've seen recently was the Rolly. I think that's named the 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 piano kind of thing where you just slide your finger. The seaboard. Yeah, the Rolly seaboard. Exactly. And in fact, in this European project I told you about, Rolly was one of our partners. And Rolly, for instance, they I, I agree with you. So this idea of how can you augment kind of like a traditional instrument, which is like a piano, mm-hmm. uh, and and adding uh, more levels of expression. Like a, a slide, the, 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 um, the treble of trembling your finger and making exactly. the sound, like, like in a guitar. Exactly, mm-hmm. you can do a glissando, basically, and mm-hmm. then this idea that you can have a continuous dynamic control rather than a, you know, like a mm-hmm. discrete one, like you have in a piano. Uh, I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, like a, going in the direction I was commenting before. I mean, you, you can really uh, integrate a human, you know, like human expression into new, uh, into different uh, and uh, new musical interfaces. One of the things that it, it fascinates me and the, that you're touching a lot is t- talking about human-centered design, yeah. hum, human experience, human, human expression, human-focused product building even. Mm-hmm. First, this is, this is going to be a twofold question. So, first of all, what got you interested? In, I assume that the storytelling is still part of it. It's still mm-hmm. trying to figure out how people react. But at the same time, how did you once again learn how to evolve such product building expertise? So, let's put these skills into a more entrepreneurial skill set: so product management, mm-hmm. project management. Was this coming from experience, or did you read any set of books? Or were you, did you were you having any kind of teachers, mentors? Let's totally, yeah. I mean, this is a very a good question, at least for me, because uh, when I was at kind of like in the middle of my PhD program, mm-hmm. I I realized and I decided that I didn't want to do research anymore. I I knew that after my PhD, I will I wanted to 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 either to create my own um, my own company or to move to to move to the to the industry somehow. Um, I just didn't see myself being, you know, a, a, a lifelong like researcher mm-hmm. and publishing and, and, and so on. So when I was doing that, uh, I basically uh, started thinking about, okay, how I'm going to make the most of the knowledge I am acquiring in this uh, in my research uh, experience, and I'm going to to transfer this into into a, into to the industry or to a, to a, an entrepreneurial uh, project. So I quickly started like focusing on on, on methodologies that uh, will help me to create uh, a product. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the field of human computer interaction, the idea of uh, um, user centric design um, uh, and user centric interaction design was uh, is still b- b- very strong. So I started, um, you know, like uh, shifting my research towards the idea of how can we actually. Um, get some design guidelines and, and design processes by looking into into real world uh, needs and looking into what's what's uh, uh, you know what's needed at a, at, an, at an experience level mm-hmm. I, I still believe that uh, so at the end uh, I am not a technologist I don't I don't think technology by itself or designing you know the most powerful uh, 
uh, processor or the most powerful or the, the highest quality camera is going to make a real impact. I mean, this is my mm -hmm. vision. Of course, yes. I think that the, the real impact comes from uh, empowering people uh, with tools that basically um, can fulfill their needs in a, in a specific context. Mm -hmm. So context uh, for me is very important when you design. Uh, uh, the context, the context in which you um, uh, use technology, and also uh, the skill set and the and the and the, the background of, of, of what your use uh, and what's your 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 idea and use. And again, uh, in this case, for me, music was also perfect because uh, you know musicians are very demanding. You know? Like mm -hmm. musicians are experts. And when you design a product for musicians. I think that there are only one type of user that is more demanding than the musician, which are uh, children. <laughs> like the children are the ultimate, like uh, for me, like the uh, you know, like uh, user uh, testers. Like they really go deeper into into your stuff, and they are very honest. And when well, musicians, uh, also when you create uh, this this uh, uh, when you create a, a musical interface, you really have to. To, to understand what's the the, cons, the context and the skill set of the of mm -hmm. the of the musician that is going to play with it, and in fact there is like a very nice conference in the musical domain called Nine, which is New Interfaces for Musical Expression. New Interfaces for Musical Expression. Exactly. Nine. So okay. where it's like a conference where like many many people goes to present like you know like um, uh, musical instruments that they design or musical interfaces, studies on how. You know, like different, uh, you know, like body gestures or or, or um, different type of like um, uh, music tools. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, can be can be used in a in a performance or in a, comp in a composition context. And I think that's that's. Uh, so I this is how I started like focusing on user uh, uh, user centered design. Mm -hmm. And then when I was finishing my PhD, I applied for a so with my. In our lab, we applied for a, a European grant mm -hmm. that was basically based uh, focused on user-centered design. So it was a grant, a project that uh, the goal was to transfer uh, research-grade knowledge, so things that you create in a research lab, to the industry. So that was a, a way of like saying, okay, all this knowledge you 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 develop into a research lab that m many many times just stays there. Mm -hmm. how to create vehicles and, and methodologies that will allow these research labs to transfer this into a, to a startup, for instance, or to a, to, to a company. And that's why in this consortium that we have, we, we, we have universities, research labs, but also we have startups and companies. So Rolly was there. There was another company from Portugal called Plax, which create a, a, like do-it-yourself biosensors. Oh, interesting. React Table, which is the musical instrument mm -hmm. I was telling you about, was also part of the consortium. Um, so then we team up with these with, with these uh, companies, and we transfer algorithms, uh, classifiers, uh, hardware components to the company, so they can actually commercialize them and create new products. But when, uh, the, the the main question here is, for example, imagine that we're we have another person listening to here to the show and saying that I cannot afford right now to, to go to the university or to apply to one of these grants. Is there any resource that Sebastian can recommend me in terms of where can I need more? Is there any any resource that you, when you were doing this and learning more, more on this subject, that you limped on more or 
and more support only. Any specific book, any specific podcast, any specific hmm. video, any any author, any blog that you read that that someone that it's outside and doesn't have that can't afford, for example, going into research. Yeah, yeah, I see your point. Yeah, I mean, I mean nowadays, especially because now there is a, a big and and um, very strong trend of a. a open um, access uh, research mm-hmm. there are many many papers that you can download for free that before was like they were not available mm-hmm. so there are many papers from this kind of conference i was telling you nine there is a uh, one of the most important conference in human computer uh, interaction which is called chi chi uh, most of the papers are also uh chi so computer human interaction so this is one of the most important uh, human computer interaction conference in the world so they they also have many many papers on uh, uh, open access. Um, there are a couple of um, of um, of um, researchers and designers that for me were very very uh, uh, they influenced a lot a lot of my work. One is called uh, Bill Baxton. So Bill uh, Baxton was a, an a early researcher in the seventies in Cedar Park, and he was he is actually working now in Microsoft Research. So he has like amazing books about uh, about uh, design thinking, but like you know, like really, um, I don't, cannot remember the name of the book. Uh, but no worries, we can we, we can link up the name of the the author uh, and just try and great. So for instance, uh, he has a very interesting approach about um, how daily life and daily life uh, objects actually actually um, influence uh, a design process. Mm-hmm. So how can looking into the analog. To, de- to design the digital, basically, um, he's also one of the the, the pioneers on these tangi- tangible interfaces, um, uh, also augmented reality, um, and the, the other one that I would recommend is called Bill Gaber. So he's a researcher at the at the Goldsmiths University in London. Uh, I had a chance to to meet him uh, uh, at some point. He's very strong in what is called design uh, design driven research. So he actually does research using design methods. Interesting. Uh, which, and and, and he, is, he has very, very interesting white papers, uh, so more concept, conceptual mm-hmm. um, uh, writing around like design and research. And um, I think th- those are, I would say, like very interesting uh, uh, assets for that. And then there are a lot of MOOCs as well from Stanford University, from the MIT, uh, that you can subscribe and you can get, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, uh, courses of, um, you know, from from, you know, like interaction design, uh, user-centric design, and also a lot of like now machine learning. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like uh, uh, those are, are, I mean, are publicly available, and I think you can you can rely on them. So for anyone who's listening, he doesn't know what a MOOC is. is a massive open online course. Exactly. It's like Udemy. Stanford has its own, EDX has a mm-hmm. lot of the Harvard ones, MIT also has one. So any open online course of the aggregator, mm. you can find also all this information. There is one uh, MOOC, sorry, that is called Cadence. Cadence. Cadence, which is basically... How do you spell it? Uh, K-A-D-E-N-C-E. Cadence. Cadence. Yeah, Cadence, exactly. So this one... Um, is a MOOC a platform uh, basically focused on uh, creative tech. So if you are interested, for instance, on 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 music, 
or for instance in, in machine learning and, and creativity mm-hmm. like for instance Google Magenta or all this kind of a more um, uh, that this kind of like a, a, a AI with a with a creative angle mm-hmm. they have amazing um, moves that cadence yeah cadence I I will check it out and will be linked up in the show notes and oh, thank okay. you for for that. okay so and you already we were already toying around a little bit talking about ProPixel so pitch it to us what's ProPixel Okay, so Protopixel is basically the platform where any designer can design, share, and control high-impact lighting, um, basically uh, with easy-to-use tools that they can learn in one hour. So it's basically um, it's a, it's a cloud-based uh, a platform mm-hmm. that makes lighting design easy for everyone is you can see it almost as uh, the photoshop of lighting so you don't have to have any type of like uh, lighting background in order to create your lighting environments mm-hmm. so it empowers you with a with a with a lighting design tool that is online and then it makes very very easy to place these lighting environments in a wide range of uh, venues directly from the cloud so once, so you can, for instance, create your own lighting design for a retail store chain, and you can directly from our cloud system deploy directly in 40 stores without having to physically go there. And you can monitor all your lighting infrastructure also from our platform. And what is also very important is that we provide the end user, so for instance, the store manager, mm-hmm. with a mobile environment, with a mobile app that they can use to interact with the designs that they buy from the professional designers. Oh, so they buy the... Okay, but when you say professional designers, are we talking about animators? So when I think about lighting, and we'll go deeper into lighting itself, when I think about lighting design, I might think in a very layman's terms that how specific lamps are protrude into a wall yeah. that makes written protopixel. Mm. But I assume that from if you're talking about design, we're talking about a full wall filled with lamps that you control cloud with a cloud-based app. Is that it? Yeah, I mean, basically, so l- l- lighting design is basically um, the the conceptualization and the creation of a lighting environment that, of course, includes um, hardware uh, components, so mm-hmm. devices like, like lighting fixtures, the distribution of these pictures on the space, and then the, the the lighting content that is going to be displayed by these by these uh, by these luminous by these fixtures. So like the intensity, the color, the um, you know the, temp- the the temperature, and so it's a it's a it's a highly of course cre- creative uh, process. And nowadays is uh, is still a very it's a professional um, uh, skill. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about uh, designers, yeah, we most of the time talk about lighting designers, so people that have already some background on, on lighting, and they would like to 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 create a lighting environment fast and easy, but still reliable. reliable. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of like what Protopixel gives to them. But the thing is that, uh, like music before or or video or photography, for instance, um. They also used to be a very professional uh, domains. Mm-hmm. So, like in the 90s, for instance, uh, like uh, you know, you, photography was still quite professional. You would have to buy a professional camera, and then, then even when they uh, released the digital digital cameras, they were still kind of like 
expensive and for professionals, but now everyone has a camera in their phone, mm-hmm. right? So all these uh, all these fields, as they as they get more digital, they also get closer to to uh, to everyday life. And um, what it, this is happening with lighting uh, as well. So lighting is getting more digital because of the of the of the LEDs. So LEDs are, are now being ready to be uh, digitally driven. And what we are doing with Photopixel, and this is our vision, is we are democratizing lighting. That's what I was going to ask you. You're basically democratizing exactly. so the access to lighting design. The access, also, we are democratizing the, 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 the experience of shaping your own light. So when we talk about lighting, and I think that's important to also understand when you're talking about lighting we're not just talking about a, sh- a different shade of white or yellow yeah no yeah. we're talking about different colors we're talking about the way that specific add a sequence specific lights get turned on or off or with a different color right yeah so now so we're talking when we are talking about lighting we are talking about the combination of the distribution of your of your lighting devices in the space and the interaction and the, the the properties of these lighting devices in terms of color, in, ter- in terms of intensity, in terms of uh, of um, um, dynamic changes, you know, like fading on and off, the interactions with the uh, with natural light, um, and the possibility of how can you program all this into a into into a sequence, into a pattern, mm-hmm. or make it uh, user centric to to through through sensors, for instance. So right now. Because we have this uh, idea that lighting is just an on and off uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Now it's okay. I have like a switch and it's on and off. But uh, I mean, nowadays, like uh, lighting uh, fixtures are uh, expanding all the control possibilities to all these combinations of color, movement, uh, intensity, white, uh, and, uh, and so mm-hmm. on. So the the, the lighting um, uh, environments are getting richer. It's okay, so the way we talk about lighting environment, just just to understand and not to play a little bit devil's advocate, mm-hmm. but just trying to understand. Mm-hmm. Imagine that I have a fashion store. Yeah. What would be my incentive as a fashion store owner, be it fast fashion or very classy fashion? Mm-hmm. What would be my incentive to pay pay for Portopixel? Okay, that's a very good point. So... Lighting um, is basically a need. Right? You need lights in order to showcase your products, basically to create, uh, to be able to people to, 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 to see what's inside your shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, lighting directly affects the way a product is perceived, its quality, uh, the, the way you actually, uh, how comfortable you feel inside the, inside the store. And also, it can provide a completely different experience uh, compared to your competitors, because you can create more uh, unique um, uh, spaces or unique environments that will give you more food for. So, in the case of, of, uh, of if you have a store, for instance, um, uh, retail store chains, of fa- especially fashion, they heavily invest on technology to, pro- uh, uh, of, to create uh, cus- different customer experiences. Mm-hmm. So they design their sound, they design the, 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 the scent, they they also you know work with screens. And lighting is one of the main also uh, components of the of the of the customer experience design. 
So what we are providing, uh, for instance, uh, uh, retail stores or fashion stores, is a lighting tool that will allow them to take the most of the of the of the lighting elements they are placing into their store. They can, for instance, instead of having a monolithic static lighting all the time, they can easily, for instance, deploy or change between different lighting environments according, for instance, to the to the season of the year. Yeah, that's so, okay. If it's summer, it's if it's summer, you can exactly. So, for instance, you can you can you can change you change the change the season. The products change. You can so you have a range of different colors. You can easily adapt all the lighting according to the to the to the, to the colors of the of the products that you have. Mm-hmm. You can actually guide navigation inside the inside the store according to the to how you you configure the lighting. Mm-hmm. So you can have like highlights. You can have low lights. And also, what is very important is that. I mean, your lighting designer can provide you with all of, all of these uh, or with all these lighting presets, and then you locally can just switch between these these lighting presets without the need of an expert. And also, you can you can make this lighting uh, adaptive to your customer needs. So, for us, for instance, a one a very strong, uh, a concrete example is changing rooms. So you go to buy a you go to store. So you you found a chair that you like, and then you go to the changing room. You try it out, and the light is is, is super bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like and it's, it happens to many many people. You know, or you go to a restaurant and you are having like a, a dinner. You know, with your, with your with your couple, and you want a more like cozy or more uh, intimate environment. And the light is it's not too good. light. And too. the thing is that the, the, the store manager just cannot change that. Because lighting control system right now in this in this uh, in these markets are monolithic. So you have a design, you install it, and if you want to change the setup, you will have to physically go there and you will have to call an expert in order to, to change those uh, those setups. And with Protopixel, it's not only that you can access to professional lighting design uh, at, at, in a in a in a fast, reliable, and uh, affordable way. But also we empower the, the businesses to gain some a level of control on the lighting they have. So they can, for instance, we have restaurants that use protopixel that they can easily, for instance, dim the light of every single table. They can. Okay. You can go to that. But you can go to the to the very specific spot. Mm-hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you were saying before we get get back to the restaurants. You can eventually, and depending on how the research is put, you can actually put different lights inside a store. So you have specific light in the changing room. You can have a specific light for male. Mm-hmm. You can have a specific light for pants. You can go put all it. the way yeah. to that specific. Yeah. And actually, Protopixel is one of the is is one of the first platforms that can actually also address uh, digital LEDs or pixel addressable LEDs, which are fixtures. That you can control not at the lamp level, but you can control at the pixel level. So that means that you can actually provide fine grain lighting designs in which you can actually create very smooth changes or you can create like very subtle uh, modifications of lighting mm-hmm. in order to, 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 to have a more dynamic uh, environment for your products. And, and a concrete example of that is, for instance, uh, is, is uh, circadian rhythms, which is called, this is something that is one of the, a classic uses of like user-centric lighting, which is uh, how can you make light change uh, as time pass by? So people that works in a in a workspace, for instance, can perceive that 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 that, that time is is, is running. 
Exactly, because and that directly impacts in your in your comfort. And this you can see now in offices or in workspaces in which they apply these uh, circadian designs. Circadian designs. Yeah, okay. exactly. Because because you follow the circadian rhythms of the sun, and and basically this is it has a direct impact into into in, in the way in, in how comfortable you feel, the quality of light. So the quality of the of, of the whites or the color, it also make you feel uh, if the quality is good, you feel less tired because you can you can see better. Things. So all these kind of uh, of uh, of lighting practices were in the market for a long, long time. But again, because the lighting the lighting um, industry is very is still very professional, it was accessible only for a limited. I mean, for high profile, high budget um, um, businesses. But one one thing that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't I don't think that you're taking out the professionality of the specific industry you're just giving access to more people to become their own experts in that specific area by trying in the market because i assume that you're doing this with the more professional yeah with the most professionality possible yeah yeah that's a very good point but what you're saying is uh, probably and correct me it's more corporate almost industrialized it's a very standard approach rather than having people become creative in that specific area. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I'm referring more towards the the way these these um, these uh, designs are distributed. So it's true that it's it's not that that the the the, the design process uh, is going to be less professional, but like the lighting value chain is is highly complex. That 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 that, that would be the word, the the I think the word because. For for a for a business, especially for a small a small business, mm-hmm. you were saying before, like small store here in, for instance, I don't know, in Kreuzberg, to acquire a a professional lighting design is very difficult because you will have to hire a lighting designer to to develop a project for you, and then you will have to hire a professional installer to to actually to to, to deploy that into into your into your store. Mm-hmm. And that basically means that the, the whole process for you to acquire this 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 lighting um, uh, experience is, is is complicated. It's expensive. And it's multiple people. It's multiple people exactly. So what we are doing is we are we are kind of like simplifying this this this, this the whole lighting experience from the design stage to the deployment stage. So you also sell the, the lamps. That's- we do have uh, some uh, um, hardware components, and we do sell some lighting fixtures, but that's that's not our main business. Your main business is the platform. But for example, let's say I'm I opening now a small store here in Kreuzberg, taking mm-hmm. the example mm-hmm. here in Berlin. I want to have you guys do the service of the lighting, or at least develop not develop it, install the platform in my own store. Mm-hmm. If I still don't have anything besides the place. I will have to ask someone to install these fixtures. That would, yeah. Sure. I would go through you, or would you point me to a partner that would be able to install everything, and you would be the technological partner. Exactly. So basically, at the stage in which we are now, mm-hmm. uh, so we focus on the professional market. So and we don't sell through businesses directly, but we sell through through the design experts. Okay. So basically, so we 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 some is very. Strange. I mean, we, it doesn't happen very often that we sell directly to the to the business, 
but basically what we are doing is we are creating a community of, of, of designers that basically uh, place our platform in a broad range of, uh, of businesses. And it happens, so our go-to-market strategy is that we engage designers, so for, for us this design community is the most important angle of our platform. Uh, so you're a community-driven yeah, totally. marketplace to sell to business. So right now is we are a community-driven platform that basically we we uh, uh, we help this community to design, distribute, and control lighting in a, a in a better way and in a simpler way. And many businesses approach us sometimes uh, to to acquire this lighting experiences. And what we do is that we connect them with the with our design community. So at the end of the day, we we link kind of like the the offer with the demand, mm-hmm. and we are on our way basically to. So again, we want to simplify the way lighting uh, lighting design arrives to businesses, to small businesses, and to end consumers uh, ultimately. So this is kind of the first stage in which we are. And, uh, and, and we basically uh, pay a lot of attention to our to, to our design community. So uh, a tool, I mean, for us, uh, the, in the lighting field, I mean, the main challenge is not technological. So right now, is the problem is not that much, uh, you know, uh, how to create the most uh, versatile uh, uh, lighting fixture or, or, or the most powerful lighting design tool. This is happening. Philips Ara, uh, is working on that. Philips Hue, right? Philips Hue or Philips with many, many products, uh, Oslam as well. So for us, the challenge is, is, is the experience. It's how you actually provide an experience that will actually make this, all this design knowledge reach these uh, this target, this, 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 this customers in a way in which is easy to use, in which is in which design is a core value of the of the process, and in which you will actually do it in a in a in a simple way. Actually, I have one one question about this, and going to the environment part. I remember a lot of years ago, my father used to work with a bank, mm-hmm. and they the, the designed a place specifically to become inhospitable, like the bar. Mm-hmm. The ground was the, the the floor was painted red, like dark red. Mm-hmm. The the music there was very low, and not enough for you to enjoy it, mm. but enough to be there. But since you can enjoy it, it's kind of eh, yeah, yeah. Can you? I mean, I assume that it, of course you want your business to be hospitable, mm-hmm. but imagine that there's a business that d- 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 designed something or a place to be inhospitable. I don't think I don't know why would someone do it, but I assume you can create something to yeah. not have people want there just to buy and leave, for example, yeah. fast food. Place. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that? It, and this is a weird question that I might it may not even make sense. Mm-hmm. But imagine that I have a fast food and I want people to keep going, so make the place inhospitable. I hire a, a lighting designer that uses per pixel. They do it's perfect for my own goal. Mm-hmm. But then we have someone say, "Oh, that was built by ProtoPixel and it's awful." Mm-hmm. No one likes to be there. Mm-hmm. Do you think that if you have someone using that for the wrong mission that you might have to... I mean, okay, the mission is democratize lighting mm-hmm. design, mm-hmm. the access to lighting design. Yeah. But if you are associated with people that are trying to build something to be inhospitable according mm-hmm. to the business, do you think that can also give a bad image to your business? Well, you know, the thing is that when we started the company, we didn't start it like being kind of like a startup. We, we started first... Uh, 
kind of like a, under a, an agent, a agency, a studio model. So we were creating kind of like a custom lighting control system for clients. And that means that we were also handling the, the, the design content. Mm -hmm. And, and because, uh, um, we are very design driven and protopixel has a strong also design uh, angle because we want to provide the, the, the best possible experience for the designer and for the, for the end user. We were very picky and we were, we were very careful, uh, you know, on having like, you know, the best possible design, mm -hmm. uh, for the, for the clients we were having at that point. But then when we did the transition towards a product, so a, a, marketplace, to, so to a market, well, to, to the platform and mm -hmm. design a product that will be used by other designers, which won't, won't be us. So you're no longer responsible for what it's like Illustrator. They're not responsible it's, for people exactly. make bad design. And I think that's also, that's also great. I mean, the other day, I mean, I think that the beauty of creating a, a products in the creative industry is that people can create a, a lot of different things. So sometimes you would like them. I mean, like, I don't even know um, many things that are being created with Protopixel right now. I love that. You know, when you have a product that then you just, is there and you just see like, you know, people is like uh, subscribing and they are or downloading it. And sometimes I found things like, because they tag us and I say, okay, this is super ugly and I really don't like it or very cheesy because I mean, the lighting can get very cheesy. Very cheesy. Uh, uh, in a party, in, I don't know, whatever. You know, like a know. sweet 16 party. Exactly. A glowing and blinking 16. Man, like the other day, I, I found a guy that was, uh, that designed his uh, Christmas decoration with Protopixel. You know, like uh, for That can house. be interesting. Yeah, it can be, yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Even if you don't like it, you get so much, uh, I think it's so um, rewarding to mm -hmm. see that Okay, that, 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 that actually your product is, is a tool that actually, you know, is empowering people. And but, okay, but sorry to interrupt you, but then you mentioning the, the Christmas thing. Yeah. Imagine it's one person who did his own personal yeah. Christmas lighting yeah. with ProtoPixel. Yeah. So imagine that I buy a specific wall of LEDs, whatever. Do I plug it into a computer? Is it connected via Wi-Fi, Bluetooth? How do you manage that? Because that's actually very interesting. So basically, like the, like the, um, the 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 infrastructure goes like: so you need your LEDs. Mm -hmm. uh, every LED that you would like to control, uh, it will need a driver or a controller. Uh, so in a like in a for instance in a in a home setup, you know, in Philips Hue, you have like a gateway basically that does that. Uh, but in a, in a, in a more business, in a business setup, you have like kind of like a, a more standard controllers. Mm -hmm. And basically our, our platform is compatible with these controllers. So then you can, you connect these controllers to a computer. We also have our own controllers that we develop, uh, basically for this, uh, pixel addressable LEDs I was telling you before. Mm -hmm. But they are not mandatory. You can use controllers like DMX, Arnet, DALI, which are kind of standard protocols in the market. Mm -hmm. And then basically you connect this to the computer. Okay. And, and when you connect them with the computer, you can just start sending lighting content from, from ProtoPixel. Uh, we also have like a, because normally you won't, you don't want to have a kind of like a, a dedicated computer doing that. We, sell a product called the, the protopixel node which is a small computer like an apple tv that basically you basically load your your lighting presets there the ones that you create with protopixel and basically it's 
you just it just runs all the lighting and then you interact with, uh, with it with, a, with an app. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Before we go a little deeper into ProtoPixel, I just have one very possible, not simple question. You were studying, going a, a way step back in this conversation, some, some big step backs, steps back, rather. You were studying neuroscience, mm-hmm. doing your PhD. You met your co-founders in the PhD. Yeah. Apply to music. Yeah. How do you go from music to light? Ah, yeah. Okay. That's a good, very good question. Yeah. So, th- I mean, it was very... Uh, I mean, something happened, basically, which is... We were in the university back in Barcelona, and one day we got a call from the owners of, a, of one of the most famous buildings in Barcelona, which is the at that point it was called the Albert Tower, which is a, is a is a skyscraper made by by Jean Nouveau. And it's the big, the big tower, kind of rounded, exactly rounded, like a bit like a cucumber. And they call it cucumber. They call it cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then, like the the thing is that they have a very beautiful uh, lighting facade, mm-hmm. so it, it, it's, it's it's fully covered by by LEDs. And um, they called us and said, like, look, we have this uh, media facade, which is very nice, but we would like to control it because basically the only thing we can do is just switching it on and off, and that's only the only thing we we, we can do. And in Spain, in New Year's Eve, there is something called Las Campanadas, which is like when you approach uh, midnight, uh, they ring uh, a bell and you have to eat some grapes during in the last, I think, ten seconds of the of the of, of the you know of the mm-hmm. transition from the from from one year to another. So normally, so they said, okay, we would like to have an animation there, uh, you know, for the campanadas and to have this kind of like, a, you know, like very dynamic content so everyone from the city can see it and can eat the grapes and so on. And because they knew that we were kind of like a, a nerds and doing, you know, like, you know, like weird, weird stuff. They said, I mean, we assume you can do it because the guys that installed this, uh, they just cannot do that. So we say, okay, we, we took the challenge and we went there. And then when we arrived to the to the to the building, we saw the the setup and we say like we said uh, we know that this is like like you know like uh, synthesizers from like the seventies you know like this kind of all these kind of like surfaces with knobs and faders. Uh, it's like music like thirty years ago, basically. Mm-hmm. And we quickly saw that we can actually we could actually apply all the the design knowledge and the metaphors and the and the, the approach of, uh, of of digital music to that setup, and then we created a system for them that they were using till they changed to ProtoPixel basically um, to be able to address the the the, the lighting facade in a more in an easy way, organic. In an, in, a, in, a, in an organic way, with different type of video formats, with animations that they could do like data visualization. So basically, the, it was this kind of moment in which you you come from a from a background with a heavy knowledge, and then you approach a new market uh, with a fresh uh, mind, mm-hmm. and then you say, okay, I can just I can I can kind of like transpose all these metaphors and all these uh, approaches from music to light. Um, 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 you can just approach it in a completely different way. And, and that's how, because after we did that, we started having calls from other buildings in Latin America, in the rest of Europe, 
and we saw that and we developed a lot of uh, bespoke systems for them and we said like okay it cannot be like that i mean i'm sure i mean we were sure that philips or like you know like big big, big brands would have like amazing uh you know like uh, lighting control software and they did but the problem is that they were designed for expert users that they were doing very cool stuff but then they will leave and no one will be able to operate mm. so there was there were limitations at the design stage at the distribution stage and at the control stage and basically we saw that okay if we streamline if we connect all these processes do end to end and make it you know like you know like provide a consistent experience from one point to another and we make it I mean there is no reason right now to for not controlling light with any type of data. LEDs are like are, are ready for that. So you can you can control lighting with with, with with video, you can control lighting with images, you can control lighting with colors, you can control lighting with scripts. So we just made a data driven system. And we made it and that's why a big uh, chunk of our users, of our designers, uh, were not working on lighting before. They started working on lighting because of Protopixel. Because we made it easier for them, and not only for the lighting experts, to create, to, to drive uh, uh, lighting devices. Interesting. That's, that's, and congratulations on that. I have one last question specifically, still in this area. Mm-hmm. And probably this can be a very open, open-ended answer because it might be quite long. You come from clearly an academic background, mm-hmm. even though halfway through your PG, like you said, you understood that you wanted to do something, either yeah. jump into the industry, if I recall correctly, yeah, yeah. or build your own company. Yeah. How is the transition from the academic background, very process-oriented, very background, not very knowledge-oriented, to the untamed wilderness and jungle that is the startup land? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that um, it can, um, it, at least in my case, it, it was quite organic because at the end of the day, uh, when you are into a PhD, uh, you have a lot of freedom to organize your work. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, if you already have an idea, if you connect the dots, you can make a, a like a smooth transition between you know what you are I mean finishing your PhD or or or, or you know closing your research uh, activity and you know like even transfer things from from that experience to to your business or or slowly moving towards the towards towards your company. In my case, it was it was quite because I started uh, we started Protopixel when we were finishing our PhDs actually. So it's not that we finish and then we jump into into the company. We kind of overlap a bit, and I I, I don't think it was. I mean, the most stressful actually uh, factor was that it was a lot of work because you will have to do two things at the same time, and they are definitely activities with different type of uh, rhythms mm-hmm. and different type of of of, of uh, you know uh, intensity. So we had to kind of like. Uh, Dealing with this is like you have to have your brain, you know, working at two at two different speeds, mm-hmm. and that was very, 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 very challenging. Uh, and also, I would say that we are not kind of like a classic startup because um, we leverage a lot in our in our in the experience we got on in research. 
So basically, that means that, for instance, we apply to 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 a couple of uh, public uh, grants mm-hmm. for innovation, and we got the money f- uh, 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 from there to actually start the business. So we knew how to apply for public money. We knew how to actually put together a, a you know a grant, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, helped helped us a lot. We didn't ha- we didn't have to put any money at the beginning. We just got the money from those grants. And then if you have like, uh, you know, like 50,000 euros or, uh, in, in, in the bank to start the company, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. And that basically allowed us to start selling right, right ahead. So Protopixel was on, on break-even, like, at the very, the early, from the very, very beginning. And that's, uh, that, I, I mean, if, if you are a researcher or if you are, if you are in research and you, you are thinking of uh, starting your own business, I think there are a lot of benefits and a lot of knowledge you can get from there. Uh, uh, and you can apply it into 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 your business uh, without any doubt. Curious. I mean, we still have like uh, we we are quite successful at getting like uh, innovation grants, and um, we just got another innovation grant grant like a couple of months ago, and that basically helps you a lot uh, for your R and D. And it's money that you're not owing anyone. And you're not owing anyone, and it gives you like a, like a lot of uh, resources for you to keep innovating. I mean, you definitely uh, always have to be thinking in your next product. So, you, you know, like, uh, even when you are, you know, like, still developing your, 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 your product or uh, your strategy, you have to have an idea of, so what's, what are you going to do next? And, and R&D is, a, is, 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 a, is instrumental. I mean, you cannot stop innovating. But that's something very interesting because... If you don't want it to go into this, you can you may not respond, of course, and we can just cut it out. But your product is the platform. So when you're thinking about the next pl- product for ProtoPixels, right, is it an upgrade of the platform, or are you going to venture off to other uses of light, for example, concerts or anything else? So the thing is that no, no, I'm happy to answer this. So. I would say that there are two different types of businesses in general or startups. Businesses that solve a concrete problem right here, right now, mm-hmm. and businesses that have a clear vision of how they are going to disrupt and impact um, into people's life uh, in, 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 in the ways they basically do things. We are the second type of company. And that means that you have a, I mean, and we have a clear vision of, when I, I'm telling you, like, so we are in the process of democratizing lighting. So the platform is basically stage one of that. But in order to reach that level, mm-hmm. because uh, in order to get there, there are a number of products that we will be developing. So right now, we focus... So we have a plan, of course. And that plan basically uh, means that we are going... Is I think, like any other startup, that plan is to grow. Mm-hmm. So our growing plan... Uh, our, our product development development cycle follows this 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 uh, this uh, growth uh, uh, objective. Mm-hmm. So right now we have the platform, which is pretty much which is clearly focused on, on design professionals for high profile uh, um, businesses, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a professional market. But then we are already working. And when we are when I say that we are a community based uh, product, is because from this. Uh, from this community, we are right now learning and getting 
a solid idea of how are we going to bring all this lighting design uh, content into a broader market. And I'm talking about, for instance, uh, small and medium enterprises. Mm -hmm. So these ones are quickly now, uh, now they are quickly adopting LEDs, uh, but they have limited budget. So our product right now for them is not a good fit because it's inside this dynamic of professional designer business. So what we are doing right now, for instance, you say, well, so what's next? So our next step is the lighting marketplace. So in this marketplace, it's a, it's a revenue share model that is going to empower designers to be able to distribute these designs to a broader market, mm -hmm. which is a low value, lower value than the professional one, but by, but by high volume. volume. And then but by doing that, we will be able to, again, the problem is distribution. So the problem, right, the, 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 the limitation is not tech, it's not software, it's not hardware, it's distribution. How we grant access to this, to this market. And this is what we are designing right now. It's a marketplace where any SME can acquire a professional lighting design from a professional designer in one click with a very affordable piece of hardware that they just connect into the into their store and they can just drive the lighting right away. Great. So I I must be honest, I kind of lost track of time because I really love talking and all the knowledge you've been putting into this conversation. So didn't I don't want to schedule this for an hour and a half and it's already past that. Uh, we I would like to go into the fire round with you. Okay. So the fire round is quite easy. I ask you one question and yeah. you try to answer that in less than one minute. In less than one minute. Yes. Okay. Tell me, are you a book giver usually? I um I would say yeah, so so. Okay, then I'll ask the the, the question one a. What's the one book that impacted you the most? The one book that impacted me the most. Uh, I would say it's called uh, Consider the Lobster of uh, David Foster Wallace. Consider the, the Lobster? The Lobster, What yeah. is it about? Well, the Foster Wallace was a, a journalist um, and a writer, uh, American, and it's a collection of essays about situations and things that happened in the, mostly in the States uh, in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And... Mm -hmm. um, um, it goes from politics to porn to uh, lobsters to uh, September 11th and he has uh, you know, he was one of the most influential because he's, he's, he's not alive uh, but he was one of the most influential, uh, influential writers uh, in the last uh, decade and again storytelling that guy he knows how to tell stories in a very nice way. I mean, totally recommend the book. I'll have to read it. Yeah. Okay, so tell me one tool that if it ended today, you couldn't have access to it today, you wouldn't be able to live without. I, I think I would say Google Calendar, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would say, like, if, if you take out my Google Calendar, I would be completely screwed. <laughs> I am very simple in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I need it. Tell me something you've changed your opinion in the last six months. Something that changed my opinion mm, in, in the, the last six months. Um, 
but sorry, but something that made me change my opinion. Uh, Tell me something that your that your opinion has changed. So, in the last six months, you had you were you had a preconception, or you had an opinion on something. In the last six months, that changed. I would say community. So community-based products. Mm-hmm. So the, the importance of the community. I completely changed my perception of that in the last in the last six months, especially during the textile program. So for people who don't know, uh, Sebastian actually was part of the Techstars uh, powered uh, the Metro Retail Metro Accelerator for Retail powered by Techstars program. That's that actually the way, was yeah. with Jack. That already was part of the podcast. Exactly. Pranav and Sarah as well. Do you have any life mo- motto or any quote that you like to live by? Yeah, I mean, one is like um, you really have to care about people. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I, I I do believe about that. You you really have to. I think that that that's at least is one of my main rules. I do care about about uh, about, uh, about people about uh, how this is going to impact, especially in my in, in my team. Mm-hmm. If you are a, if if you if you lead teams. If you in any type of like, uh, um, so, I mean, like social relationship, whatever, I think uh, that makes a big difference. I mean, it sounds trivial, but it is. And I recently I heard one that I am also like putting in practice quite often is that um, that you will never regret of being brave. Nice. You will never regret of being brave. I mean, even when it's so difficult and even when you know it, you won't regret. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I never heard that, and I love that quote. I've never heard it, and I. I will. Th- I think it's one of the first times that I heard something as a quote, and I like. And I am still thinking of it, even though you just said it. My mind is going 300 kilometers per, like saying. Oh, it gets, yeah, yeah, totally. It gets you. It gets inside your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, sometimes, I mean, you are in these moments when you have to make some decisions, mm-hmm. and there is, I mean, and uh, you take kind of energy from that kind of like uh, approach. I, yeah. I, I like it a lot. Thank you for that. Okay, last question. And this is something that I've been introducing quite recently, so you're not prepared for it. Okay. If I were to give you six months to prepare to do a TEDx talk, what would it be about? I think it would have to be something around like tech, creativity, and and, and, and community, or community-driven uh, uh, creative tech. Uh that will span from music uh, to lighting and to different domains and yeah I think that might be the, the, the topic I, I know it's not very impressive but that's kind of my it expertise is, it is. that's my expertise and that's what I do if that's your expertise I'm going to be honest I would listen to it because that's something I think as you figured out through this conversation it's something that I'm quite passionate about well this is the end of the podcast where can people find you where can people get in touch with you and figure out more about Protopixel so yeah you can find us at uh, protopixel.io uh, also, um, protopixel, P R O T O pixel, yeah, P I X E L, exactly, exactly. And then, um, um, you can find me in my uh, on Twitter, so my, it's uh, at uh, S Mealia, like my last mm-hmm. name, M E A L L A. Um, uh, yeah, of course, I'm LinkedIn, just take my name, I guess, Sebastian, Sebastian Mealia, and uh, yeah, perfect. Well. Sebastian, it was a really great pleasure having you here on the Pioneers. Andre, thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoyed it. And I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Well, take care. Thank you so much for plugging into this episode. I truly hope you loved this conversation as much as I did. Sebastian was really inspiring and I really, really felt like I had a total new education on lighting technology. 
any other information that you might have missed will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoy this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows and we can get some more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their lives and careers. If there's any feedback, feel free to reach out to me on social media. A big thank you to Sebastian for arranging the time for this great conversation. A great thank you for Tibor Flundlin, aka DJ Rodia, for the music of the Pioneers Show. Once again, it was really a great pleasure having you over there, and have a great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.